This election season, you can expect to hear a lot of news, some of it meaningful, much of it not. Give the Up First podcast 15 minutes, sometimes a little less, and we'll help you sort it out what's going on around the world and at home. Three stories, 15 minutes, Up First every day. Listen every morning, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Dave Isay, founder of StoryCorps. This message comes from NPR sponsor Subaru, featuring the 2024 Outback Wilderness with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive, higher ground clearance, and all-terrain tires. Discover more at Subaru.com wilderness. For Myra Kalish, the morning of April 12, 2022, started like any other. I was on my way to work, and um, I was on the 45th Street train station. Myra's a no-nonsense New Yorker in her mid-60s. She works at a nonprofit in Manhattan. As she was waiting on the platform, a stranger stood next to her, a man in his late 20s. His name was Eric Acevedo, and he was also on his way to work. I tend to run slightly late, especially during uh, this time because it's almost spring break. Eric teaches high school poetry. He lives in the same Brooklyn neighborhood as Myra, only two blocks apart, and this was their local station. But they'd never noticed each other before. I don't normally speak to people because I have my New York face, you know? As your resident New Yorker, let me explain. When you're on the subway, you don't talk to other people. They're going to look at you like you're weird. So even as they stood next to each other, they were minding their own business. As they waited in the subway, they saw the express train speed past. And as it went by, one of the cars went dark. And they heard a sound. And it was pop, 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 pop. And then we just looked at each other as if to say, what was that? And we made eye contact and I was like, were those gunshots? This morning, the FDNY received reports of gunshot victims in the subway. Thanks to the quick response. What happened next would create chaos and trauma for everyone there. But it would also bond two strangers for life. It's the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. I'm Camila Kashani. Myra and Eric weren't sure what they'd heard, so they did what any other seasoned New Yorker would do. They got on their train. We both just walked into the subway, and we didn't look at each other again at that moment. I still don't know why the hell we got on that train. The train that had passed them, there was a guy named Frank Robert James on it. He put on a gas mask, threw smoke grenades on the floor of the subway car, and started shooting. That was the popping sound they'd heard. Ten people were shot. The train pulled into the next station, and he ran with all the other passengers onto the platform. Eric and Myra's train pulled into that same station about 90 seconds later. I remember the smoke, and I remember people screaming and being upset, and I remember that some people were just standing at the doors. I mean, people just didn't know what to do. It was like... Someone had stunned them with like a freeze gun or something out of this world. Nobody knew where the shooter was. Everyone just wanted to get out of there. I didn't know what to do. I looked over at you and you, you must have seen the look on my face because you said to me, 
just hold on to me. I'm going to get us out of here. You started screaming at people. Get on the train! You had a sense of authority about you. Like, you didn't seem nervous to me. I felt very assured when I was holding on to you. The doors closed, and the train pulled out of the station, carrying Myra, Eric, and other people fleeing the shooting. I remember the sounds. I remember people crying and whimpering, and I've never listened to people be so scared, like real fear. We got to 25th Street, and the doors opened, and we just were all making our way out. I said, don't worry, don't look back, whatever you do, just roll forward. I held on to you all that time. I never let go until we were literally up the stairs. Top of the stairs, we said goodbye. You asked me for my name, and then I asked you for your name, and I remember you added, I'm a teacher. And I think I said, like, I hope you made your home okay and safe. I just walked out, and it was like helicopters, police, ambulances, and everything. I just started walking, and I walked and walked to try to figure out what to do next. And when I walked about 20 blocks, I then decided that the shooting couldn't occur again. So I went back into the subway and I went to work. I went up the stairs and I called my boss and I said, hey, I can't make it into work right now. I'm going home. Twenty-nine people were injured that day, not just from the gunfire, but from the smoke and the chaos. The shooter was arrested the next day. He later pleaded guilty in federal court to 10 counts of committing a terrorist attack. He still hasn't been sentenced. How did the day linger with you? It didn't so much. Because I have to ride the subways to do my life, I didn't let it take over my thoughts. I also think that because I had felt safe during that, I didn't think about it a lot afterwards. But I thought about you. In all the mayhem and confusion, Eric had given Myra comfort. And the next time they met, she'd have a chance to return the favor. Stay with us. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When we think about the people we love, it's not the big things we miss the most, it's the details. What memories will your loved ones cherish when you're gone? With Dignity Memorial, you can pre-plan your celebration of life now to protect your loved ones because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. 
Planning truly is one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. After the shooting, Myra fell back into her usual routine, which meant walking into the same subway station where she met Eric. Every time that I went into the subway, I always went to that same exact spot. I was hoping that I would see you again. And one day, you were there. You tapped me on the shoulder, and you were like, were you with me on that day? And I said, Myra, is that you? <laughs> I was, like, so surprised. And you're like, yes, that's me, that's me. And I was like, can I give you a hug? <laughs> it had been six months since they'd seen each other. Six months since the shooting. But unlike Myra, Eric hadn't gone back to that spot till that day. He'd been avoiding it. You were like, how have you been since then? And I was like, I don't, I haven't been so well. Those things that I used to enjoy didn't bring me joy. I loved to dance. I loved music. I loved going out at night, especially in the summertime. And I didn't want to do that either. I didn't want to be outside past a certain hour. I still am to this day, always looking out. And I try to keep my headphones low, dropped for a bit. I hear another, like, gunshot, you know. I had a dream that I was on the subway cart and that the conductor was a part of, like, this gang of people that were assaulting others. And so I woke up in sweats and, like, shaking again. It was so real to me. When you told me that you had PTSD, like, I just felt so sad that as a result of that day, that it hadn't gone well for you. Maybe I felt a little bit guilty because I had been able to push it aside and, you know, not really think about it. So... I don't want you ever feeling guilty because it was another of our faults, right? There was something else going on with Eric the day of the shooting, something he'd been struggling with for a little while. My grandma started chemo in, in March. Her doctor told me that it was eight months to a year because of all her underlining conditions. My grandma's my second mom. She knows it. I am grandma's boy to the day I pass and beyond that. Every time she came out the shower, I would always brush her hair. So me cutting off her hair just two days before, uh, on April 10th, meant like she was fading. That made me spiral. I would cry everywhere. I couldn't even like make it to my bed to cry. And on April 12th, when that occurred, it was like I was thin as paper. Anything would have fallen on me, and I would have probably, like, spiral and collapsed. But you held on to me, and <laughs> I, I managed through the confidence that you had to hold on to me. I think that spun me into action. Had you not held my hand that day, I don't think I, I would have been able to yell for people to get on the train. So when we re-encountered and, and you told me how much I was present there for you, those words really like gave me closure in a sense. And they meant the world to me. 
you party on 36th Street and I'd continue on the subway. But like I had like this, like a child opening a present on like Christmas Day. I was like, I saw her. I <laughs> I finally found her after all these months. It was one of the best days of like 2022, to Aww. be honest. Yeah, For me too. For me too. I was so happy. This time when they said goodbye, they exchanged info and stayed in touch. Last year, I definitely needed a friend. It's such a funny friendship because of the difference in age that we have over 30 years. But we have a shared experience, right? That is kind of like nothing we have gone through with anybody else. We have this moment in time, right? When we locked eyes and that moment changed everything for us. I was really irritable on April 12th this year. And I, I told you, and you're like, Look at it as another day besides a shooting, something traumatic. If anything, you should view this day as a day that you met me. It really like sunk in then. Despite our hardships that day, something beautiful came out. Last year... After the diagnosis of PTSD, I silenced my life in a way. I put like a mute button on it. You're like increasing the volume in my life, right? You're you're giving it more sound and, and more music. I was just thinking about the time my entire family, my brother was here, then my mom was here, and like you were <laughs> you were like part of the family. <laughs> yeah, I, I made it to one of the pictures. That was awesome. I feel like we were put in each other's lives for a reason. And I hope that we're going to be in each other's lives for many, many years. I hope for that, too. Eric and Myra see each other at least once a week now, doing a lot of the things that Eric had been struggling to enjoy after the shooting— like going out at night, seeing live music, and dancing. And Eric's grandmother, despite the doctor's prognosis, she's still with us. That's all for this episode of the StoryCorps podcast. It was produced by Max Young-Rice, who's our associate producer, and edited by Eleanor Vasili, who's our senior producer. Our technical director is Jarrett Floyd. Our fact checker is Erica Anderson. Michael Garofalo is our executive producer. And Jasmine Morris is our story consultant. Special thanks to Kendra Hanna, Willa Rubin, and Will B. Wild. To see what music we use in the episode, go to storycore.org. We can also check out original artwork by Lynn Lucien. For the StoryCorps podcast, I'm Camila Kashani. Catch you next week. Support for this podcast comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. 
It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wild Card wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. On Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we have very important people on our show and then ask them about very unimportant things. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Uh, We are also reliably informed that among your enthusiasms, in addition to macroeconomic policy, is mobile games. Uh, There's some truth in that. There's some truth in that. Join us for the NPR podcast that considers all the other things. That's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me.